Parev, urachim vor miyatselek mezagrin, yes aspet tavit mezorianem, tif megararat talijis. Parev tis, and welcome to Talking Vartan, the Knights and Daughters of Vartan podcast. I'm Aspet David Mezorian of Ararat Lodge Number 1 in Boston. Thanks for joining me for our 20th podcast episode. A famous songwriter once wrote that life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. We've all had to change our plans this year. Some changes have been easier to deal with than others. When it comes to the Armenian church here in the United States, the changes have been nothing short of monumental. When was the last time that any of us stood in a crowded church shoulder to shoulder with fellow parishioners, greeting one another with a handshake, hug, or kiss? Our churches were forced to close their doors last March due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And for a few months, you saw your services on screen or not at all. Slowly, the doors began to open in many areas, and today there is limited attendance in some of our churches. But there are restrictions and strict guidelines that must be followed. For millions of Armenians throughout our country, the church, as it has for our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, represents the heart of the Armenian community. Whether it be Sunday Badarak, Sunday School, Haitobrots, or Armenian Language School, or anything else, we need our church. But with the COVID-19 pandemic, the church, its leaders, and the parishes themselves needed to adapt. So how is it being done? What have been the challenges and the sacrifices for the church and for us? How will our church leaders manage the months ahead at a time when we don't even know what is ahead? And finally, have our sacrifices brought us closer together as a community? Today we'll talk to two of our brothers in the Knights of Vartan who also serve the Armenian church in the role of clergymen. Their respective parishes represent the largest Armenian communities in the United States. Anakin Sparabed of my lodge, Ararat Lodge Number 1 here in Boston, Archpriest Reverend Father Antranik Baljan is pastor of St. Stephen's Armenian Apostolic Church of Greater Boston in Watertown, Massachusetts. Der Antranik was born in Worcester, Massachusetts. He was ordained in 1975, just a year after he married his wife of 45 years, Yeritskin Cheryl Arpine. He became pastor of St. Stephen's Church in 1994, but he was no stranger to the parish before that. And yes, when it comes to the Knights of Vartan, it's a family affair for the Baljans. His son, Father Stepan Baljan, is pastor of St. Gregory Armenian Apostolic Church of Merrimack Valley, and also Spotabed of Arakat's Lodge No. 35. Our second guest is also a pastor of St. Gregory's Church, but this one is St. Gregory Armenian Apostolic Church of Pasadena, California. Archpriest Reverend Father Sarkis Petoyan was born in Los Angeles. His grandfather was a charter member of Ardas Lodge. His father was a knight of Vartan. His mother was a daughter of Vartan. Der Sarkis himself became pastor of St. Gregory's in Pasadena in 2009. As a member of our brotherhood and close friend of 40 years to our Grand Commander, Stephen Adams, Dersarki served both Sevan Lodge in San Fernando Valley as well as Daron Lodge in San Francisco before joining Revant Lodge No. 26 in Pasadena. Dersarki, Deron Tronik, welcome to both of you and thank you for joining me here on Talking Vartan. Good to have you both. Pleasure. Good to be here. Dersarkis, before we get to the focus of the conversation, I do want to ask you about the fires, those terrible fires that are burning in California, as well as in Oregon and Washington State now. 
And we've already seen the smoke here in Massachusetts. Uh, What can you tell us about what you've seen and has it had any effect, those fires, on uh, the operations both at your church and, to your knowledge, any of the other Armenian churches in the area? Yeah, well, sadly to update, today we got word that uh, a firefighter was, was in fact killed. Um, here in this local one, the Bobcat Fire, which is about 20 miles or so from Pasadena. And we can see it the other night we saw the flames. The smoke is terrible. Um, mornings are worse, but by afternoons it's at least uh, breathable, if I can say that. Operations to the church, you know, no, it hasn't affected us, hasn't impacted us. But to our day school, we have a St. Gregory Hosepian day school. And the pre-K through five are allowed back on campus. First through eight are in uh, going through Zoom. But there's no outside playground. There's, you know, which children need. So it's impacting everyone. It's a, it's a genuine nehutun. The Target stores are all emptied of filters, air filters and uh, air purifiers for the house. Everyone's running to get them. Just uh, on top of everything, you got to deal with the, the stuff that comes your way. Let us yeah. talk about uh, what effect this year has had on the Armenian church In March, when it was clear that the doors of the churches would be closing and in-person services would be, at least for the time being, ceasing, what were the decisions you both had to make immediately in those first few days after the lockdown to make sure that things at least kept going to some extent? Dan, I'm trying to start with you. I think the prime concern right at that time was church services. Uh, As we uh, got into March. March 8th was our last regular Badarak at a time when uh, there were no restrictions. March 15th, there were restrictions, but not enough to curb our own ability to, to do the church services. After that, pretty much uh, it went down to 25 people and then down to 10 people. So you can't do much uh, as far as church services go with 10 people. However, we did decide to live stream to begin it. And we had talked for many years off and on about, you know, recording sermons or certain services and putting them online. And we did that every now and again, but we really lacked the technical skill and know-how, especially to do stuff like live streaming. And boy, did we learn fast. I'll bet you did. Yeah, within a week, we were live streaming on Facebook. We did uh, morning services for a couple of uh, weeks until we were uh, given some clear guidance on what we should be doing. And I have to say that that, that came from the wisdom and the guidance of our two Catholicoi and our prelate, who had also met with uh, Tanya Sefpazan, the primate, and uh, they gave us very clear guidance of what we should do, be doing for church services, for sacraments, um, funerals, and of course, once we got past that, we started to think about school. Uh, our teachers had to go virtual. And for people who don't know, you have an elementary school affiliated with St. Stephen's Church. Yes, we have an elementary school and we have a Saturday school and a Sunday school and all had to switch to uh, to virtual uh, platform. And uh, then all of a sudden we started thinking, well, well what about our old older citizens who are now being described as a vulnerable population. So we tried to reach out to them. Uh, We tried to um, call as many as we could. The Ladies Guild called all of their senior members. I spent a lot of time on the phone since I couldn't visit. And of course, we couldn't um, 
go to the hospitals or nursing homes or anything like that. But so th those were the kind of things, services, and then, uh, you know, reaching out and trying to help people that needed help and trying to protect ourselves and our vulnerable populations. Both of you represent two of the largest Armenian populations in the United States, uh, those of Greater Boston and those of California. Dear Sarkis, when this all happened last March, was there any thought whatsoever or the con to the consideration of, you know, we're just not going to be able to, we're just going to have to shut down for a while. There's no way we can do Badarox if, you know, if the doors are closed. Did that thought even cross anyone's mind or was it just a matter of, we've got to do this, let's see how we can make it happen? Yeah, no, there was never a thought that we wouldn't celebrate the Banerjee. Uh, it's the Eucharist. It has to be done. It's the, it's the soul of the Armenian church, which mm -hmm. means the Armenian people. So we just found a way. There's an expression, um, whatever music they play, we dance. So whatever we had to do, we did. <laughs> yes, uh, we live stream and with professional equipment. We invested quite a large amount of money into professional equipment, uh, cameras, um, computers, uh, programs. We have technicians every Sunday. We have two and sometimes three technicians coming in for the live stream. And it's, you have to do it. It's, it's here. It's here forever, by the way. We can never not have that. And right. people made it clear <laughs> that even when we go back to normal, they expect the live stream to continue. Well, it's brought we have, people you know, to the church, though, in terms of, you know, people who either perhaps they're elderly and they can't get to church or for whatever reason they weren't attending. And now it's just a matter of looking at your screen, no matter where you are, right. and you can participate. Right. So in, in that sense, it, it really ha it, it has brought people in. Oh, definitely. Uh, to give an example, our, our uh, on Easter Sunday, we may get 2,000, 2,500 in and out. But with the live stream, we hit 6,000 Wow! when all was said and done. So, so yes, by all means. And they're coming, they're tuning in from Australia, from Middle East, from Europe, from across America, and throughout California, not just Southern California. So, you know, I mentioned Chadiki Mitch, Padik Magad, that was an advantage, and we you know, were able to do that. Yes, we are passing has a large, large Armenian community, about 25,000, 6,000. So we do about 45, 50 weddings a year. Now, how do you explain to these brides and grooms only 10? Mm -hmm. 10 people in the sanctuary. It's hard, it's difficult, but they, they understand. And then they're all adjusting. And, okay, Deadeye, I will go to City Hall now, but can we come back next year? Of course. Deadeye, can we do our wedding with 10 people, but next year can we do it, you know, when things are back to normal? Can we do it like Iragan? Of course, we'll do anything. You know, it's, you know, and we all have to just come to terms with the reality. Yes, we do have a day school with 260 kids. That's difficult, as I mentioned a second ago. So uh, we all have to adjust. Now, you know, um, how do you say it when, uh, when they're allowed suddenly when we have 250, 260 per Sunday, only 10? How do you tell people at the door you can't come in? It's not so easy. And um, quickly, at one point, we were allowed for about a month, oh, we can have 25% of capacity. Okay, for us, that's about 100 or so people. Well, that got filled up within 15 minutes. Okay, overflow into the into the Geragos Hall, the social hall, right. okay? That got filled up with 150 within 45 minutes. So <laughs> you just have to be strong, and, and people will understand if you explain it to them. That's what we've found. Well, this yeah. is uncharted territory for all of us. I mean, in the history, you know, uh, certainly in the history of the Armenian church here in the United States, how prepared were we? You really had to punt in this case and, and kind of throw protocol out the window uh, I think I think everybody was very afraid, and my biggest fear that that uh, that uh, their trepidation was going to turn to panic, and panic is not good. And um, 
I spent a lot of time um, preaching about that, um, the difference between healthy fear, which is instinctual and which is uh, good for us to have because it keeps us out of trouble, and panic, which does just the opposite, which um, often takes us uh, to the point where we don't want to be. Uh, so I think there was a lot of fear at the time. You know, it, it was unprecedented, but I, I don't think the Armenian church was any more unprepared than anybody else. Right. I have to say that, again, I want to stress the guidance from our uh, hierarchy was was excellent. Uh, it was really helpful and uh, allowed us to do the kinds of things that we would not even think of doing. Uh, and we had many clergy meetings, too, talking together, more or less encouraging one another and getting ideas on how to do certain things. One of the things that have changed in our church is the meetings. We no longer have, you know, ha have meetings uh, in person, obviously. We're um, doing it all by Zoom, and we've become techno wizards at, at inviting people to Zoom meetings or getting into Zoom meetings and mm -hmm. spending uh, what would be a three, four, five, or six-hour meeting in an hour and a half um, because everybody knows that let's stick to the agenda, let's do it quickly because we're on Zoom, and that's it. So, Well, I mean, uh, we had our, our grand convocation, our Knights of Vartan grand convocation online this past summer um, for the very first time. And uh, if you've ever been to a grand convocation, either of you, and I've been to only two of them so far. Myself, yes. They, yeah, they, they, you know, there's a lot of material, there's a large agenda and there's, you know, a lot of discussion and debate and finally a vote and all that. And it can take a very, very long time. We got the whole thing done in two evening sessions and there was a lot to get through because it was just, okay, this is what we need to do. You know, our Avak Spedevich, Steve, uh, Stephen Adams said, we've got to get through all of this. And uh, so it really was streamlined in a way that it hadn't been before. So let's talk about what people have had to deal with in terms of the families. I know that both of you have had to perform funerals in these last six months. How different has it been considering the fact that the families are not able to all be there and friends all be there as they normally would have been. I mean, I lost my own dad on, on April the 2nd and it was immediate family only. And yet it was still a very beautiful service. But uh, how have you and how have the families dealt with that? Um, Dersarkis, I'll start with you this time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very, it is tragedy. And I, I will say, and they were all used to it within our own um, tradition that there's three parts basically to the funeral rite, the church rite, or sometimes in the chapel, the cemetery rite, very short, five, 10 minutes, not much longer than that. And then the third part is the hokejash. Right. To me, I, I, I will say this, the most important part in terms of comfort for the family is the hokejash. Somehow it's incomplete without that. Right. Um, because that's where people can so-called let their hair down. They can express themselves. They can get up and say a few words. They can even bring a smile or two. They can even tell a funny story about the disease, what have you. People need that because every wound needs to be healed. And according to our faith, the healing comes through the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit just doesn't appear magically as much as it comes through people to the to those who need it the most, need that comfort. So that's been the tragedy is that, sure, you you conducted uh, the, the church rite, the chapel rite, with just 10 people or so. We understand uh, here at Forest Lawn in the Glendale area, the 
you know, they put out a tent next to the chapel. Okay, you can bring 20 people. And the cemetery, right, you know, they, 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 they let, they've made, they forced people to stay in their cars if more than 10 show up. Um, but to not have a hockey, Josh, that hurts a lot. It really, really does. Uh, it's within our, um, you know, cultural baggage, if you will, that we're able to break bread. Oh, you're absolutely and, right. Uh, there's something special. Well, where did our faith begin? Our faith began at the at the Last Supper. Take this bread. There was Christ sitting around the table, and that's how we reenact every Sunday during Eucharist celebration. There's something special. We have a word ungive. Unsgiv. It's a compound word with with food. You're not an unget, a buddy, until you sit and break bread. Companion, same idea, compan with bread. So there's something special about you know coming closer to it when you break bread, and we're not able to do that. That hurts a lot. I know that part of your task involves caring for and offering spiritual comfort and support to the elderly. That has been an extremely difficult thing to do this year, and I'd like to the both of you, and Dan Antrening, I'll start with you this time to talk about what that whole experience has been like, because uh, in your case, I know that you would visit the Armenian Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Jamaica Plain near Boston. You know, it, 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 it's been non-existent in person. There's no way that uh, they're letting us in, uh, even now uh, as clergy. If I had family there, um, I could go visit and social distance with mask uh, for, for a period of time. Um, I, I remember my last visit, it was in early March. It was the second Tuesday in March when I went. Uh, already when I got in, they were asking me questions if I had a fever, if I had a cough, if I had been out of the country. So it had just started. And then that, that was my last trip for a while. Um, and I, I haven't gone back yet. We're not open up, opened up that much yet. One of the things that I did was every Sunday, I would make sure to light a candle. We, still, we, we live stream this show, and I continue to light a candle for those that are in the nursing home, both the workers, staff, as well as all of the people that are residents there. And unfortunately, there are about 20 fatalities uh, from COVID uh, in the nursing home during a very short period of time. Right. They weren't all Armenian. They weren't all from my church. But there were also, at the same time, uh, fatalities in other nursing facilities as well. Quite a few, actually, yeah. Yeah, and that was a time when it was crazy. I alone, I, I, I um, figured it uh, about in, in that two-month period, there were probably... 30 or 40 funerals, probably all together, three churches in the area, if not more. Um, that might be what I would do all year. I did visit a couple of people at the beginning and at the end when things were opening up again. But I found that reaching out by the by phone, and I, and I prayed a nurse or one of the staff at the nursing home would hold a telephone up to the patient. Mm-hmm whether or not they were aware or awake or knew what was going on, I would pray. And, you know, then the next day we'd find that that person had passed. So it was very difficult. And I also want to say, going back to the funeral, I mean, part of our job is also trying to comfort families when they lose people. And it's very difficult to do that with masks and gloves from a six foot distance, even in the cemetery. Because the natural urge is to go uh, and, and show your comfort 
your physical closeness and through your expressions and your body language, uh, touch and hug and put a hand on someone's shoulder. We, we couldn't, we can't do any of that. And right. it, it's very, very difficult for me, very difficult. And for, I'm sure for all of my brother clergy. Dersarkis, what's it been like for you in, in California in, in terms of dealing with your elderly uh, parishioners and not having that kind of contact that uh, before March, as Dedantranig alluded, was so important? Yes, well, I, I echo exactly what he's saying. Yes, I've had to go and give last rites and blessings through a window and present mm. the blessed sacrament, you know, from the outside. We have to do that. We have the Aradak home here, um, an independent uh, Cheswok kind of um, assisted living with 200 residents and a, assist, and a convalescent hospital with 200 beds. Uh, it's in one. It's a city. It's huge, Aradak complex. And I'm not able to go. We're absolutely forbidden. So I, you have to make do, you have to like react with, in a sense, of creativity. So I picked up my soup ministry I started years ago because I have some free time during the day. You know, I, I make batches and batches of gazpacho soup <laughs> or <laughs> chipino. And I, I put them in the containers and I go out house to house to house. Dead High made this for you. Not Do you really? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. How wonderful. Um, the soup ministry, and they love it. And so I, with my mask, with my gloves, I go and I put it on the kitchen table. I can't give a hug. I can't give a kiss. But I say a quick prayer and I leave. Um, blessed sacrament, blessed grapes, sorry, uh, right. for us. Yeah, we had drive through. They came through about 60 cars. Uh, but after that, we had leftover. I went to 31 houses in, in three days. My goodness. Uh, that's between Azusa and Glendale. Uh, and just such have tears. They receive you with tears. And mm-hmm. I did the same thing with Rahan, you know, the, the basil the other yes. day. After. You're right. Um, so you have to find a creative way. These are elderly people. They can't get out. They, you know, they shouldn't be getting out. And just a quick stop at the door and knock on the door and get in and out before any fear of infection it really remains with them. You just find a, a way. Oh, it must make all the difference in the world. What about the children of your parishes? I mean, you, you know, these are for their, especially the, the very young ones. Uh, this is, can be actually be very frightening for them to all of a sudden uh, have their whole lives uprooted like this. They're not in school. They can't go out and play with their friends. They have to wear a mask on the few times that they can go out. They can't visit grandma and grandpa. Uh, you know, all, everything that they took for granted is suddenly, at least for a while, come to a halt. What are you saying to them to offer comfort to them? Dear Sarkis, I'll start with you. Um, well, I've always felt that, that kids of all people are, are more resilient than the rest of us. And we underestimate that um, uh, characteristic of them. So they need reassurance just like everybody else. Just like everybody else, they need to be reassured. They may be masking, no pun intended, they may be masking their <laughs> uh, fears. Uh, but I always give them this, Egbok, and I teach them that word and what it means, Egbok, E-G-B-O-K, Egbok means everything's going to be okay. And I remind them that their parents or grandparents, especially in this area, they're, they're all either from Beirut or from Halib or from Baghdad, and they come over because of troubles. And so I remind them that that here you know, in America we have um, – you know, we're very responsive uh, healthcare system and we're under the protection, we're under safety. And so I remind them that, that you know, a generation ago, there was 9-11. We had the Northridge earthquake in 94. Right. just tore this town upside down. Uh, that we we can survive all of this and we will survive all of this. They need to learn that concept of egg bock and, and it comes with experience. So that's what we're just reassuring them. And Dad Antrenig, you're a grandfather. And you, you know, tell me what that experience has been like 
to not have that kind of contact with your grandchildren that would have just been a part of life. It was it was very difficult, David. I'll tell you, um, when this all started, we all decided that we had to social distance. My children and my son-in-law and daughter-in-law, all of them were very worried about our safety. Um, and so for a good three months, we really didn't see our grandchildren except through FaceTime. Uh, and I have to give credit to Yeretskin, who is a retired teacher who worked with each of the children, whether it was, you know, working on writing or reading a story or going over some books that the kids had read or do, helping them with some homework. Every day she, she had like her schedule. Me, not so much. I would uh, get a glimpse every now and then. And finally, it, it came to a point where Yeditskin and I just got in the car one day and went over and we watched our grandchildren playing, at least my, my daughter's uh, kids who are nearby. And, you know, it, then, then things started to get a little bit better. But, you know, the, the natural urge of children towards those whom they love, especially my like my little granddaughter is four years old and her natural instinct and inclination is to come and give Dede a hug and uh, had to be reminded several times, no, 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 don't do that. She said, when is this virus going to be over? And, uh, you know, that I think that 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 sums it up uh, in, the, in all of our uh, minds that this is when is this going to end? I'm understanding or I'm getting an in inkling from what that is saying that in California, at least in your area that I you haven't been able to open up at all yet. Pretty much uh, in church, we you know, we're we we can get about 100 people in church and we've been wow. averaging about, you know, 60 people every Sunday, which is manageable, all socially distanced. They have to wear masks. There's no coffee hour afterwards. Uh, we we give mass. We don't wet it. We, we give it dry. But, you know, it, it gives us the feeling that we're actually, you know, starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Wow. And um, I hope you get there, uh, get there soon as well. Thank you. Given the fact that we still don't know exactly when this is all going to be over and when this pandemic will be in our rearview mirrors, what is it that you say to your parishioners in terms of offering them hope for the future and, and trying to keep them optimistic and positive um, when it just seems like there's just one piece of bad news after another these last few months? And, and Dead Antrening, I'll start with you this time. Well, um, you know, our our policy um, at the urging of uh, His Eminence, uh, Archbishop Anushalan, uh, began to do daily reflections, five, six, seven minute uh, little reflections to try to give hope to the people, to, to try to keep them upbeat and to try to explain and comfort and speak about what's happening. And I think those have helped. And I did quite a few of them. You can maybe go on go online and, and, and look at some of them under policy reflection series. You have to teach hope and courage that this is going to end. And, you know, in our case, as I said, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit. When we were in the dark days, hey, you know, nobody liked it. Everybody was afraid. Let me just uh, kind of go off track a little bit. I, I went to the church office every day. 
Really? That was wonderful. I was alone. My, my secretary was working at home. Uh, the janitor had it off. Uh, he maybe came in once a week to check things out. I was all alone. I got so much work done. And I'll tell you what I'm not going <laughs> to miss is the, is the 10 minutes it took me to do what usually takes 20 mm-hmm. as far as getting there from my house. Yeah. Um, no traffic. Uh, and, you know, and I've, a couple of times I had to do uh, funerals at cemeteries that were, say, in Framingham or Burlington. Yeah. Wide open road. Yeah. You know, nobody around. Uh, I kind of liked that. And then I would come home and Yeretsky and I would walk up and down the street. And our yard has uh, never looked better <laughs> than us this year. I'll tell you, we've got so much yard work done. So uh, that's the kind of thing I like to uh, share with people, too. Get, getting into Boston has been an absolute pleasure these last several months. I, I will admit that. Uh, it certainly has been no problem there. Talk about the the financial strains that uh, the last six months have put on your church and, and on the Armenian church in general, because there are many things that normally happen that have not happened. Uh, and many of those are fundraising activities. So what kind of a strain has it put on you, dear Sarkis? Well, you know, old reliable. Uh, I stress it. I say it. I remind everyone, never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it just provides and people will respond. I will say that people are not insensitive despite their own financial circumstances, despite the, the drop in, in the economic um, circles out here, everywhere, the whole country, the whole world, people will respond. And the, lo and behold, someone came through as an example in my parish without any asking. Father Sarkis, I love our St. Gregory Church. I've got the money and wrote anonymously on Hyde. Uh, $20,000 check he sent us. With that, with his permission, I I announced it, live stream. Look, everybody, let's double this. One-to-one matching fund program. And within three weeks, we've got another $20,000. So people will respond. They're they're not going to abandon their church. They understand it is our spiritual home. Uh, But there are hard realities, like the hall's not getting rented out. We don't have our fellowships anymore. Lady Society doesn't have their events anymore. But you know, we've been through a genocide. We've been through World War II. Four years, the economics of this country was just upside down. There was rationing. There were, you know, reduction of wages. Uh, you know, that was a horrible thing. But the greatest generation was created. So we can come out of this better people for the experience if we just allow ourselves to respond uh, with a hopeful attitude. Dead Antronique, what's happened here in greater Boston? What that I said is true for us, too. We lost many sources of income right down to our weekly plate collection, which uh, as little as it is, let's say, in the summer months, uh, less so than during the rest of the year, it was still steady income. We, we took a number of steps. The first step was um, our endowment committee chairman said, we've put aside some money looking ahead um, that is going to be uh, there if we need to close any shortfalls, uh, especially with bizarre time coming up. Right. Um, we looked at things that we could do. We started a virtual candle um, lighting and uh, virtual requiem services. And, and that seemed to be two good ways of doing it. Because, you know, if, if someone comes into their church, they'll drop a dollar in the plate and take three or four candles. Uh, but people are, you know, giving 20, 30, 
40, $100 uh, for me uh, asking me to light a candle. And I do so very sincerely and gratefully from the bottom of my heart. Then there was the payroll protection program that the government came out with. We did apply. Churches were allowed to apply for that. And most of, I believe, most of our churches in the area did that. And um, we were able to get through March, uh, or rather, probably more like April, May, and part of June. Those, those, those months, like about three months worth of money to pay our teachers, to uh, pay uh, our some of our utilities, and of course the rent and stuff for the school. And so it was it was not just the church; it was the church and the school together. And uh, you know, we we got well over four hundred thousand dollars, but of course that's all gone now. Uh, so we're we're back to uh, being uh, frugal and prudent and uh, looking for new ways to make money and and you know to bring in some income for our church. And uh, people have been generous. And just uh, August 13th on the Feast of the Assumption, because we didn't have our picnic this year, we decided to do a drive-by picnic. And um, we gave uh, we had people pre-order online or through the phone. And we had the food ready and people drove by. It went pretty well. And with our with the food, we gave uh, grapes, uh, right. blessed grapes, and we gave mas and we gave food. And um, we made almost as much money as we would have made on our picnic, which That's was terrific. Unbelievable. That's true. Well, I mean, We're people playing. have to have their losh. They have to have their shish kebab. They have to have their pilaf. And if they are anything like the man that you're talking to right now, they need to have their cream hadaif, okay? I mean, this is just, you know, this is a summer tradition yeah. here. And uh, so that, I think that's great. Have you done something similar to that in California, dear Sarkis, in terms of, uh, I mean, is there, do you normally have a picnic in the summer or is it in the fall? What, what do you Well, have? you know, you, the, the state is big and uh, <laughs> so in the Bay Area, uh, in Fresno, they they can have food festivals or bazaars, and they can cook. You know, and when I was in San Francisco, I was the parish priest there. They made five thousand kufta, four thousand yalanji. Oh my God! Um, they had created a walk-in freezer to have the, this uh, hundreds of trays of subare. Um, But in Pasadena, I think you should know. And the next town over is Glendale, and the town after that is Burbank. Right. We, we have kebab houses every other street corner. I am not a jazz. Oh, okay. This whole town smells of garlic. I don't <laughs> understand. So having said that, we don't have bazaars and festivals okay. and food festivals, picnics, chunik. Nobody's going to come. Right. They can get the, that kind of food everywhere. So, But we have other fellowship activities at St. Gregory. We have a DFM, Director of Fellowship Ministry, full-time. Uh, he did, he uh, creates plans, executes, publicizes our fellowship activities throughout the year. Every two, three weeks, there's something going on big. Um, and so all those have been put on hold. Uh, you know, God forbid our poor ladies society couldn't do their fashion show with 600 people coming. I mean, this is, this is traumatic for them. Mm. And of course, you know, we lose about $60,000 income. So yes, you know, we will all have to uh, adjust ourselves. Um, and, and go accordingly. I, but having said that, you know what? When we come back, we'll come back strong. People will miss it. Uh, they miss that camaraderie. They miss the sense of, in our terminology, fellowship. And um, you must miss. You okay. must. I mean, you both know your parishioners very, very well. You've both 
been where you have been for a long time right now and just not being able to give them a hug or shake a yeah. hand or oh, that that's got to be difficult for you as as clergymen uh, and and of course for them as as parishioners let's look ahead and I know that right now that's not the easiest thing in the world to do because we're still in the midst of this pandemic and there's no real end in sight, at least not all the way. But look ahead to a post-COVID world uh, in terms of your own parish and, and the church in general. What do you think will be the major changes that will come about and how will things be different when this is all over and we're all coming back to church on a regular basis and filling up the pews or will we be there Sarkis? Well, I'm, I'm confident that people come back to services to, to the rituals. I no doubt. Yes. Many more will be following on online on live stream. But the, the one thing that came to my mind when you pose this question immediately is the manner in which we present the Eucharist, which is central to our faith. You know, we reenact the Last Supper every bother like that's what it is. We right. reenact the Last Supper at the command of the, at the command of Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, for some reason, many of our clergymen, Allah Hayastan, Allah Michin Arvelk, Allah Merega, they give these little pieces of pushkant, you know, these little pieces of specks from the from the Eucharist. I don't. I was 11 years in the AIDS capital of the world, San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I gave huge pieces. I would give one quarter of a nushkark to everybody of the Eucharist, one-fourth, which means I had to make a stack of nushkark every yeah. single week, and I did. And I did. I'd have, you know, 40 nushkark, and I, and, I, and I kept that same practice when I came here to Pasadena. I give huge pieces so that my fingers do not touch a lip or a tongue or a tooth or nothing. Right. And and our people, I, after explaining it, they really appreciate it. My dad was a doctor. I know. You, look, you don't. You, this is nothing to horse around with. Right. You know, communicable diseases. Before anybody heard of COVID, of course, there's always this discussion about well, we should place it in their hand, in the palm of their hand. The hierarchs apparently need to make that decision. I can tell you, you know, from a foot soldier and the front line, I can tell you what our people expect. And what works? These little pushkongs, you know, where you pass it out from, you know, priest to communicate does not work. That yeah. is not appropriate. It is not um, uh, health conscious at all. So I, I would hope that once and for all we can adopt a policy across the board, which where people would feel safe and which is scientifically sound and which is theologically proven. Dad Antronik, changes that you see in the post-COVID world? There are probably things that are going to change for the better and things that are going to change for the worse. And sometimes it may be the same thing. I think um, personally, we're going to continue live streaming. Right now, it's a good thing going forward. uh, People may not like it so much because less people may come to church. And it's not the same. I agree. It's not the same. But, you know, this makes a great difference in the lives of shut-ins. Uh, who live with their children, who can't get to church anymore. And they sit on Sunday morning in front of a computer that their children have turned on or their grandchildren have turned on, and they watch the badarak and they hear the sermon uh, as if they were in church. Uh, this, has, this has transformed the lives of many of our elderly shut-ins. And I think if it's up to me, uh, it will continue that way. Um, I personally like the Zoom meetings. Uh, yes, there are a lot more 
meetings now that I'm participating in because all I have to do is walk up to the iPad and, uh, you know, click and I'm in a meeting mm -hmm. and it takes more time from me. But in, in most cases, I don't have to, you know, be out late at night, you know, after dark. When I want to be home, relaxing and in bed, I do a two-hour meeting and, and, and I'm done. So that's one of the other things. I do hope that people will come back to church. I hope that, uh, you know, um, our schools will be filled again um, and that um, we, we will indeed be back to at least a new normal, if not totally the way it used to be, and some great semblance of, of what it was. And, you know, we have to rely on, on God to take care of us and to, to bring us and to lead us uh, back to a place that is reminiscent of, of what we had and hopefully even better. Because I think people really miss what perhaps they had taken for granted for so long. I, I remember I got an email from somebody that said uh, when the church doors were ordered to be closed, I felt so bad. I wish I had felt as bad when I wasn't coming to church. I mean, she wasn't somebody who came to church, but it, it just goes to show that when you are denied something, it makes you appreciate it more. And hopefully that's, that's what will happen in the end. People will appreciate more what they have uh, in their church, in their community. Well, let us hope and pray for that and hope that uh, that, that day will come sooner rather than later. Lakin Spadabed, Dead Antrenik Baljin of St. Stephen's Armenian Apostolic Church of Greater Boston in Watertown, Massachusetts, and Der Sarkis Petoyan of St. Gregory Armenian Apostolic Church in Pasadena, California. I want to thank you both so very much for joining me today, and I wish you and your parishioners the very best in the months ahead, and I hope to see both of you, whether it be at a local Ararat Lodge meeting, Dead Antrenik, or at a grand convocation in the near future. Shnodagalem to both of you. Well, September, of course, is the month when Talijs and Otyags resume their monthly meetings after the summer break. My own lodge had its meeting just a few days ago, and we were graced by the online presence of our Grand Commander, Avak Spadabed Stephen Adams, who joined us from Fresno, California, and our New England Grand District Representative, Nelson Stepanian. It was great to see my brothers again, if only on screen, and to catch up on what we've all been up to in the minutes before the official meeting began. All of our Lodge and Otyag meetings around the country are going to be held via Zoom at least for the next few months, but hold them we shall, because the work of the Knights and Daughters of Vartan continues. For the very latest Knights and Daughters of Vartan information, we've got you covered. In addition to our newsletters and special announcements, you can always check the Knights and Daughters of Vartan Facebook page. You'll see posts and photographs chronicling our activities both here in the States and in Armenia, plus other surprises. Just this week, in fact, despite the fact that this year's Veratat's Haidenik trip to Armenia was cancelled, we're still able to relive the excitement and emotion of our first four trips, thanks to our liaison who this week posted videos and photographs compiled over the last four years. Now, for information regarding our lodges, otyags, the leadership, our history, and so much more, visit our website. It's at kofv.org. The Knights and Daughters of Vartan are all over social media, by the way. Now, I've already mentioned Facebook, but 
You'll also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube, platforms that are even more important in this year of the pandemic in terms of staying in touch. So check them all out. All of our media resources, including our digital and print publication, Avaride, are managed by the queen of multitasking, our wonderful liaison in Armenia, Kohar Palian. She is always reachable at knightsofvartan at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a future Talking Vartan podcast, or perhaps you know of a Talish, Otyag, or an individual knight or daughter that you feel deserves some recognition on this podcast for their services, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me directly at talkingvartanpodcast at gmail.com. Say that once again, talkingvartanpodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach me through the Talking Vartan Facebook page. My special thanks, as always, to Malbar Samian for our theme music, Lorke Lorke, from his album One Take, Armenian Dance Songs. Talking Vartan, the Knights and Daughters of Vartan podcast, is the exclusive property of the Knights and Daughters of Vartan and Osped David Medzorian. Any use of this program without the expressed written permission of both parties is prohibited. It was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said, Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Thank you for your service to the Knights and Daughters of Vartan. I'm Osbed David Medzorian of Aradat Lodge No. 1 here in Boston. Shinoda Galen, Sireli Paregamner.